signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. This is Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and this is the Fanboy Planet Podcast. With me, as always, producing from the undisclosed location we call the Brett Cave. I'm Rick Brett Snyder. And today we have two special guests with us today that uh, we had the great experience of getting to go to the offices of Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated last weekend, and we have brought in two of the authors from the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe you may have heard them before on the podcast. You know them. We love them. Christopher Paul Carey and Win Scott Eckert. Say hello, boys. Hi there. Hello. Great to be here. It is so great to have you. Before we, however, dive deep dive into the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe, do want to mention that if you'd like to join the conversation yourself, well, you can't do this live. We're recording it ahead of time. But you can uh, follow us on Facebook on Instagram and on Twitter at Fanboy Planet. You can also just write in if you've got questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And of course, if there is something we talk about, this is a very book-heavy uh, podcast episode, I believe, uh, and and you'd like to buy it. If you cannot, uh, uh, you know, actually, first of all, I'd say you probably need, should go to edgarriceburrows.com directly to buy the books that Wynn and Chris are talking about. But if there's something else we mention, uh, we are an Amazon affiliate, which means that on each and every page of Fanboy Planet, there are sometimes links embedded. There's always a search box, and any purchase you make, through links on any page on Fanboy Planet may generate revenue for us. And also, before we dive in, we do want to uh, do a public service announcement and a reminder <laughs> that this weekend, uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever uh, does open, and it is two hours and 41 minutes long. So pace yourself. If you're going to a matinee, no liquids after 9 a.m. Thank you. This has been a public service announcement from Fanboy Planet to the Fandroids. So let's get into it. A, uh, to begin with, the concept of the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe. I know that, of course, obviously, his novels were very interconnected, but not in necessarily an overt way. And certainly before all of Hollywood and all of IP factories decided that everything was a universe, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs had one. So... Chris, you are the literary director. Is that the official title? Uh, director of Publishing. Director of Publishing uh, for Edgar Rice Burroughs. And you, of course, have just released uh, the novel Victory Harbin, Fires of Halos, which is the fourth book and the final book in the first super arc that really makes these connections explicit. So first of all, uh, what drove you and, and the company to formalize this universe 
Well, uh, we had been publishing uh, before I came on board. I came on board in about uh, in uh, February 2019. And before that, we had been publishing uh, what we call the Wild Adventures of Edgar Rice Burroughs series. Um, and we had a, a lot of authors, uh, really mainly fan, fan writers who were writing, uh, with the exception of uh, people like Will Murray, who, of course, are professional writers, um, writing um, in Edgar Rice Burroughs' worlds, um, and using his characters, but um, not having any kind of consistency between each other. So one person would be writing about one thing. It did not correspond to what what the other writers were writing about. And oftentimes certain details of the original canon were being, uh, uh, I don't want to say ignored, but uh, the writers were going off in other directions with it. So we had a, um, uh, a lot of people who wanted to see that original universe that ERB had created an, an expansion of that. And so uh, it seemed like a no brainer to me when I came on board to, um, to propose that idea for, for a series. So uh, instead of having what we kind of consider the wild adventures, um, a lot of it's alternate universe, I would say, you know, kind of like other worlds stuff. Um, uh, but we wanted to have a, a, a consistent series uh, that we could expand. Um, so I proposed that to Jim Solis in uh, actually my my first week at the company. I proposed that I wrote up a big proposal and uh, uh, he uh, he agreed. Uh, and so I uh, laid the groundwork for that. Um, uh, don't know if that answers your question, but um, it, it, it does. Yeah. And I should say, uh, so when you say that they're alternate universe, do you mean that they are Fluilations. <laughs> uh, so we'll get into what that actually actually means. But the interesting yeah. thing, because the funny thing to me is, I had a friend actually a few months ago ask me, like, you know, what's in Tarzan continuity? Is there a keeper? And he was being sarcastic. Is there a keeper of the continuity? And I said. Yes, there is, and I know him, and so mm -hmm. it, it was funny there. But I was I, I, I mentioned that of of the spinoffs or or of people writing their own Tarzan stories, as you say, there were only a few that you had kind of, for bet, lack of a better term, retconned into. So I know, like Philip Jose Farmer's uh, The Dark Heart of Time, which I think you have republished as Tarzan at The Dark Heart of Time, uh, Fritz Leiber's. Tarzan and the Lost City of Gold, and I'm blanking on the Jeff Marriott title, but I know that that yeah, was yeah. one recently published, and the the two Mayhar ones. So, what qualifies it to be canon if it existed before? Well, it really had the the author really had to be paying attention to the details of Edgar Rice Burroughs' original works um, and being consistent with with his world building and his characters and his timelines and, and all of that. So. Um, that's one of the reasons um, I brought Wynn on board uh, because uh, we, we've known each other uh, online for about 25 years uh, and almost that long in person. Um, and um, I've worked with him on multiple projects. And of course, Wynn is an expert in fictional chronologies and in, in continuity. Um, and I knew he had a great love for Edgar Rice Burroughs. We had talked about Burroughs for many, many years. Um, and so I wanted wanted to bring him on board for that, and it's he's been a huge help. Uh, I, I call him the the keeper of the chronology of the ERB universe, um, and he uh, has a massive document internal document that he's created for us, 
so that we can keep everything uh, in line. So it's been a huge help. And he, you and he both, uh, as I mentioned earlier, have, have written books in the first super arc. Uh, last year, Wynn's book, Tarzan Battle for Pellucidar, was released. I think we, we talked to Wynn just before that came out, and now we, it's there. And you did say he's the keeper of chronology. So, uh, Wynn is is reading the uh, having to read all these things, reread all these books in order to write one like the worst job in the world for you? No, it's the best job in the world. I get to, I get to read I get to read for pleasure and and call it research. Uh, you know, and it does take a little bit longer because I do stop and take notes uh, and so on. But uh, but I would be stopping and taking notes even if I weren't doing the chronology. You know, just to write just to write the books and write the stories. I'm taking notes about, um, you know, characterizations and little character traits that Burroughs, um, you know, had for the various characters and just making, you know, it's all of these little details uh, that, that, that we pay attention to, to try to make sure that we are um, consistent with, with the core canon, the original Burroughs books. So it's a pleasure. It is a very heavily footnoted, book I, I think which i found very fun it reminded me of of reading old marvel comics or dc comics and you know that you really could as i think was your the intent of this of this super arc you you could pick up any one of the books depending on which character you liked and uh and you introduce a new title character as well but uh when for those who don't know obviously the title is battle for pellucidar but what is the book about? So Tarzan, the Battle for Pellucidar, uh, is is a sequel, in a sense, to Burroughs' original book, Tarzan at the Earth's Core, which, uh, which was the first book to send Tarzan to Pellucidar. So there were 24, or perhaps some might say 26 books in the original Tarzan canon, uh, and there were seven Pellucidar books. Um, so these were both successful series that that Burroughs wrote, and this was a big deal to cross them over uh, in in the 1920s. It was there were certainly other writers who maybe had hints uh, of you know a character who might make a cameo from one of their series into another series, or a character was mentioned. But this was a full-on equal crossover uh, to the point that the book is listed in both series uh it's it's a it's an entry in both the pellucidar and the tarzan series so tarzan battle for pellucidar uh is the same concept it's tarzan going back to the hollow world at the earth's core uh making his uh, a follow-up visit uh and 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 the premise of the book is pretty pretty straightforward it's it's tarzan uh and his granddaughter suzanne clayton uh versus the nazis uh, at the Earth's core, uh, and you know, battling dinosaurs, battling Nazis and dinosaurs in, in the Hollow Earth. Uh, you know, what could be more fun with, than that? Did you have a challenge in uh, in kind of tamping down perhaps some of the things that pe- people now are a little critical of of the Tarzan character? Uh, y- y- you know, I, I didn't address it head on. I think I addressed it obliquely by taking Tarzan 
to Pellucidar uh, rather than having Tarzan uh, in in Africa. Uh, and you know, there there while there may be certain uh, things that 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 might be interpreted as problematic about that, um, I really wanted to just focus on on the positive, which is that you know Tarzan is a great character. Um, introduce a strong female character uh, in the form of Suzanne Clayton, uh, and and take him to another world, which is, frankly were some of some of my favorite. Uh, types of Tarzan books where he he ended up uh, in in a crazy lost city uh, or uh, you know in a completely different type of environment. And it's timely because who would have known that in 2022 we were still concerned about fighting Nazis and metaphorical dinosaurs. So well <laughs> done, well Indeed. done. Uh, that I should say it rolls over. I don't even know. No, I guess you could read them in any order. Uh, so it was mentioned on Saturday that Tarzan Battle for Pellucidar is the top selling of the four. He is probably the best known character, certainly the most film adaptations. And uh, it rolls over into John Carter of Mars and then to what is just out now. So, Chris, Victory Harbin, Fires of Halos, which I think is the most interesting challenge and really the point of doing this super arc, not only are you creating a new character with ties to earlier characters uh, created by Burroughs, uh, it's a teen girl. And uh, I think she carries the weight of, of attracting new readers who might not know Edgar Rice Burroughs at all. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it's a balancing act because I'm trying to, um, I want I want to keep the flavor of Edgar Rice Burroughs. He had a, a, a wonderful formula uh, for his writings and uh, a wonderful way of uh, stylistically even in his writings, you know? So I don't want to, um, I don't want to de depart from that too much. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do want to make it accessible. Um, but one of the, the good things about Edgar Rice Burroughs is he has reached many, many generations. Um, when the John Carter movie came out, for instance, it brought in a whole new slew of fans. No matter what you think of that movie, I personally uh, liked it quite a bit. Uh, um, but uh, I've been, uh, you know, going to conventions with Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc. since um, uh, 2019. And one of the things that we run into is like a lot of younger people, a lot of uh, young women actually uh, got into the John Carter series and they're reading the original books and they love them and they want more. You know, um, and so um, I don't think you have to abandon uh, what made ERB's work special to bring it forward uh, to the modern audience. But I did want a character that could sort of guide newer readers um, uh, into the world, you know, and Victory is very well positioned to do that because she has she's. She's very much like the Jason Gridley character that Egg Race Burroughs created. He created um, this character who crossed over into his four major series. He's in the Tarzan books, the Mars books, the Pellucidar books, and he's even mentioned in one of the Carson books, uh, Carson of Venus books. Um, so Victory Harbin is actually Jason Gridley's goddaughter. Um, and, um, and in this book, Fires of Halos, she really gets to visit 
many, many, many different worlds um, in the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe. So she kind of takes the reader on a tour. And also you get exposed to sort of some of the, some of the connective tissue, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that in a bit, I think, la- a bit later. But um, uh, so when, um, when, when we read Edgar Rice Burroughs' work, we tend to think of it in terms of nostalgia, right? Because we're in the, the, you know, first quarter of the 21st century, and we look back and, and we see, see these old these older works, and, and it's sort of frozen in the past in a way, you know. But when Burroughs was writing these, um, it was it was alive, kind of like Wynn said, it was a radical idea to c- combine Tarzan and Pellucidar. That was a big, big thing back then. Um, and he was always expanding his worlds and creating new characters and putting them into new strange situations. Um, so to 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 keep it static, if we were just to write books set in Barsoom, you know, uh, in the world of Barsoom and Pellucidar, um, you know, uh, on, on Amtor with Carson of Venus, you know, I don't think that would be true to Edgar Rice Burroughs because it was a living, breathing universe that it that had many, many facets beyond which, you know, some things that ERB only hinted at worlds. You know, there's a, a line uh, in Mastermind of Mars that refers to other intelligences on other specific worlds in our solar system, but we never get to go there, you know, and in Beyond the Farthest Star, you have the almost system, which is a, a, a very strange solar system of 11 worlds connected by an atmosphere belt where you can fly a plane from one planet to another. Well, we only got to explore one of the worlds in that. And he was about to send the the hero from that, that series, Tangor, off to another world, but he never, World War II got in the way. Um, uh, he was in Hawaii when when uh, the Pearl Harbor attack happened and he got, he, he moved on from, you know, didn't get back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I wanted to have the ERB universe to be this living, breathing thing. And it, by, by just by definition, just to be even faithful to ERB, it had to be bigger than what he had written about. Um, and so victory was kind of uh, created in that in that vein, you know. And I think you created a fun voice. And I, I do want to say with this last one that with Victory Harbor, the novel, that uh not only is it a greater sense of character, we'd only seen kind of glimpses of her before in the, in the other books. And I appreciate, you know, your pop culture is, you know, spot on for the time. And she's not, uh, you know, you read John Carter and of course, remember that he's a a Confederate soldier or uh, sorry, a Virginian gentleman uh, originally. So he, he's very much of the 19th century and Victory Harbin feels very much of, the atomic age, and as you mentioned on Saturday, uh, you know, of quantum physics. Like I'm going, oh yeah, no, I, I do know that. I have read that. I didn't know that Edgar Rice Burroughs was necessarily so ahead of his time on that, and I think you know it, it, that he was. Uh, there's also a melancholy. I had not really pieced together reading through, though it was mentioned, you know, that this is happening right after Edgar Rice Burroughs has passed away. And so, you know, comment yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, well, 
we we first addressed that, I believe, well, we first addressed it, I believe, in my story, uh, Pellucidar Dark of the Sun, which was the bonus story in Carson of Venus, The Edge of All Worlds by mm-hmm. Matt Betts in the back of that book. Um, and that's where we introduced the victory character, really. And that's kind of strange, but the super arc actually sort of begins in the back of that novel with that bonus story. Yeah. Um, and um, um, we mentioned ERB's passing. Um, and then in Victory Harbin, um, that was one of the challenges about the book because we already had a number of stories written. We had these bonus stories in the backs of the previous three books that dealt with Victory Harbin. And then Wynn in his book, um, uh, you know, had the 11 year old Victory Harbin on an adventure, which very much plays into to the events of this novel. So I had to find a way to write this novel um, where where in a situation where certain events had already been introduced. Um, and I don't know if I'm diverging a kind of stream of consciousness here, <laughs> lack of sleep also, but um, going, I'm going, uh, I had, I had to, um, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought now. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have interrupted myself with a commentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are footnoting this conversation live as you're doing it. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. So, um, what was your I'm question just, again? <laughs> I, so I, I was talking about some of, of the melancholy, and there's a yeah, giant, so, you know, because Jason yeah, Ridley even says that, right? I hope he's visiting the other worlds he always dreamed he would. Right. So, um, yeah. So that that was really meant to be the 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 um, cornerstone of the the launch of the super arc. It is the passing of the torch. We we intentionally set the opening of the super arc in 1950. Uh, to symbol- symbolize the passing of the torch from Egaris Burroughs' original canon to new writers taking over, you know. And um, uh, it's interesting that um, the way victory came about um, is because I I was looking for um, a character that would be, you know, maybe 18 years old right around that period. And I, I thought back to... to um, an outline I had written for uh, an unpublished novel. So back before, I, so I wrote another novel for Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated before I worked for the company called Swords Against the Moon Men. But before I pitched that to Jim Sullis, the president of the company, I had uh, I had come up with an outline for a novel about a character named Gretchen von Harbin, um, who was um, a young 12-year-old girl in the juvenile Tarzan novel, Tarzan in the Tarzan Twins with Jabal Ja, the Golden Lion, which has to be the longest title ever. Um, and um, uh, so in that novel, this this uh, young woman, uh, Gretchen von Harbin, is kidnapped by the frightful men of Opar and is uh, being forced to become the next um Flaming, uh, the next priestess of the Flaming God, High Priestess of the Flaming God, by a bunch of renegade Oparians have been kicked out of Opar by La, the Queen of Opar, and uh, Tarzan, of course, has to uh, rescue her, and turns out okay in the end. Uh, so I went back then. I wrote an, I wrote a, I wanted to write a novel that was about the adult Gretchen von Harbin in her in her um, early twenties, and she was going to have graduated from the. Uh, from Columbia uh, University in New York and uh, studied anthropology. And she happened to go on an adventure at the Earth's core. Um, now her, 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 um, 
her brother was Eric von Harbin, who was in Tarzan and the Lost Empire. And so he was also the one who created this fictional metal called, not created, but discovered this, this metal called Harbonite, which allowed for the creation, the, the construction of a, a vacuum airship, uh, a t- kind of science fictional airship. You, you needed a, a very strong, lightweight metal to create a vacuum that would give an airship en- enough lift without having any kind of gas like helium or hydrogen. And so Eric von Harbin had discovered this along with Tarzan in the in the novel Tarzan at the Earth's Core, the one that Wynn just alluded to. So, so um, that's how she ha- that's her connection. Just explaining her connection to Pellucidar and how she found out about it. So she goes there, has a has an adventure. There's the usual Edgar Burroughs love story. Uh, she falls in love with a with a, a warrior named Nadok. Uh, and then I what I, I what I realized when I was you know working on the the um, the super arc in the new books before we wrote anything was that if Gretchen and Nadok had had a daughter, she would be 18 in 1950, and that was perfect. So, and, and what better better way to to you know bring a new character in than to just have a descendant of an existing character? Um, so that's who Gretchen von Harbin is. She dropped the von from her name when she came to the outer crust at the age of uh, 12 uh, because World War II was going on. And she wanted to. To, right, know. and that's covered early uh, for victory. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and I think that's part of what makes the the voice interesting. Is I keep having to remind myself, oh yeah, she spent about six years uh, in Tarzana. Uh, yeah, you know, so it it does make sense. She's seen some movies. She's made some cultural references. Uh, you know, so that's that's fascinating. And and I, not to harp on the the melancholy, but this also spins on. You open this with a with an excerpt from an unpublished, I don't know, we'll call it a full manuscript, or if it was a, a fragment, or an incomplete, quite literally called the ghostly script. And your description of having found this was fascinating. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I actually discovered the manuscript myself personally um, long before I worked for the company. Um, so I, I had... Um, uh, co-written a novel with uh, with Philip Zay Farmer called The Song of Kwasin uh, in his Ancient Opar series, appropriately enough, uh, spinning off of Edgar Rice Burroughs' Ancient Opar from the Tarzan novels. Um, and so uh, after his, directly after his passing, I was at, at Phil's house, and uh, Wynn and I had permission, along with uh, Mike Croteau, um, to uh, go through the files and look for for uh, things that had not been published, uh, because we were working on a uh, on a fanzine magazine at the time called Farmer File, and so we were publishing uh, uh, works in there. And then later we worked on a, a series of books called The World Worlds of Philip is a Farmer for um, Meteor House, the publisher of Meteor House, which is also publishing rare and, and previously unpublished works of of Phil. So that's why I was in Phil's basement. <laughs> so, but while I was there, uh, ran across, I ran across a, um, uh, a document that was titled a ghostly script. I can't even remember if ERB's name was on it, but I recognized it right away. Um, because I had read about it in Erwin Porges's, uh, biography of, of ERB called Edgar Rice Burroughs, the man who created Tarzan. And it kind of blew my mind that this was in Phil's basement. It was like a, it was like a dream, something out of a dream, really. 
And um, I was like, do you know what this is? I remember saying to Mike, and he's like, no. <laughs> so, um, so that's how I got to read it at first. And the thing that struck me right away was that it was sort of a skeleton key or maybe a unified field theory to um, that sort of astral projection uh, phenomena in ERB's works. Now, this is a, a people have read, it's most, most well known with John Carter of Mars. Uh, John Carter sort of astral projected himself to Barsoom and then has had a, but had a solidified, you know, body mm-hmm. when he was on, on Mars. Um, uh, but he had, he had other characters who did that too. There was Ulysses Paxton from uh, Mastermind of Mar- Mars, who's a, a, a it was a soldier who died in in the trenches uh, of World War One, and uh, found himself transported mysteriously to um, to Barsoom after having read the read the books. He read the earlier Mars books, and so he, when he was dying, he willed himself there, and and it worked. Uh, and then there was a, a a young woman named Betty Caldwell in Escape on Venus in the Carson of Venus series, who. Uh, was from Brooklyn, who ended up somehow mysteriously transporting herself to Amtor, the world of Venus. Um, and then there was the character Tangor that I mentioned before from Beyond the Farthest Star. He died in war, uh, in uh, September 1939, being shot down over Germany uh, while flying a, a combat mission over Germany. And um, he also found himself transported to this strange world called Pelota in this in the almost almost planetary system, uh, that strange uh, uh, planetary system I was talking about. So when I read the ghostly script, uh, I realized that this was sort of the key. This was sort of what was behind, like under the hood, so to speak, of that phenomenon. And so that the ERB actually had given an explanation for it because it's it's not explained anywhere this phenomena it just happens in the books it's like a macguffin an unexplained macguffin um but he actually had an explanation for it he just never got around to publishing it and there is a connection interestingly between beyond the farthest star and the ghostly script if you look at the manuscript of uh the part one of beyond the farthest star uh, which I had the, the the honor to edit and put out in a restored edition, restoring Edgar Rice Burroughs' text, original text. Um, at the end of that manuscript, he lists alternate titles for the novel, which eventually became Beyond the Farthest Star, and one of them was The Ghostly Script. So we see that he was mining material from The Ghostly Script and putting it into that that new novel. Um, and that both both works actually begin with uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs receiving the story from the, from a typewriter whose keys mysteriously pressed down and, and, the, and the, the paper prints out the story. You know, somebody's talking to him and telling him the story from another world, you know. So he was definitely riffing on the ghostly script when he wrote Beyond the Farthest Star. So I, the, it must have been in the back of his mind. He, he wrote the ghostly script over a period of 10 years. It's only a 7,000-word document. Uh, it's a fri- it is a fragment of a novel that he was writing uh, in which a um, black sergeant from uh, the Spanish-American uh, war dies at the Battle of San Juan Hill. Uh, hopefully I got my, I'm a little discombobulated right now, but I hopefully got my facts straight there on the history and um, wakes up on this strange world of Halos, a world of the afterlife. Um, so again, we have a fifth person who's uh, transported, been transported by the same means. But um, so, I knew 
when we were dealing with the super arc and we we're going to have victory going to, to to different worlds that this would be something i wanted to mine i know it's a sort of a strange idea to take an unpublished work by an author and to mine it but th that's what we did we breathed breathed it into breathed the life of it into these new stories and you'll see little references you mentioned the word fluolation there's another word yes. called to to teculent to teculate or to teculent um I just wrote it uh, down. It's a teculant. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and to teculate. Oh, so there's a verb. There, there, there okay. are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, there are these sort of pseudo occult words that that were that here be created for the ghostly script. Um, they they started appearing um, in my bonus story. They appeared in Wynn's book. They appeared in Gary Gravel's uh, story. I believe they appeared in um, Mike Wolfer's bonus story, um, Clash on Caspak, in the back of Wynn's book. Um, and so we, we put these little, just little, seeded these little mysteries in, like, you know, you, you read this word and you don't, you don't know what it means. A, a, a mahar or a mahar, depending on how you pronounce it, one of the winged reptilians, uh, overlords of Pelucidar or former overlords of Pelucidar. Um, Victory has a very interesting conversation with, with, with uh, this, this one uh, mahar queen, and she hears him speak uh, these words, you know, to teculate and fluolation, you know, but the reader doesn't know what those words mean until you get to my book and victory doesn't know what they mean until she gets a lot further along in, uh, victory harbor and fires of halos. Yeah. So I, you called them occult words, but really I mean, you've, you've woven in so much about quantum physics. I'm going to go yeah. with, with, uh, victory's own term for it. Uh, you know, the, it's more along the lines of scientific, scientific, I like right. that that's not science fiction. It's its own own thing. You know, there is science behind it. Yeah. Yep. And um, so let's talk about science a little bit. Um, so Agarus Burroughs created um, his own, you, you can call it pseudoscience from, from, our, from our point of view in the, in the you know, first quarter of the 21st century. We think of it as pseudoscience. But... Um, you know, ERB, when he was writing about the Mars books, he had to write over such a long period, right? So that science changed as he was writing and he got locked into, if he's trying to be consistent with his prior works, he got locked into what what he created, you know? So he had this, in particular, he had a, a, a science built up around planetary rays, what he called planetary rays and solar rays. Not, not like sunlight. These are like some other phenomena, you know? Um, that uh, had different properties. Uh, it could, it could, you could. There was the eighth ray, the eighth planetary ray that could be used for propulsion, sort of uh, uh, tied in with uh, gravity. You know, there was the ninth ray, which uh, you could use to create an atmosphere with it. Um, and so, and he used this not only in the Mars series, but also in his uh, Moon series, the Moon Maid, the Moon Men, um, particularly the Moon Maid, but. Um, and so when Victory comes along, so she she was, uh, you know, born in Pellucidar, went to, to, to the outer crust after, after having had this strange conversation with this Mahar queen that it kind of inspired her and wanted her to learn more about how cosmology worked and how, how the universe worked and physics and all. She, she uh, went to Tarzana. Didn't fit in really well on the outer crust because of her, you know, she's basically an alien. She's from Pellucidar, this, you know, she's half alien, I should say. Her mother's from the outer crust, but her father is uh, Pellucidarian. And um, 
and she looks different. She's got very, you know, strikingly violet eyes and, you know, and so she didn't really fit in. So she, uh, uh, one of her teachers, one of her, her math teacher, um, uh, basically suggested that maybe she should, you know, uh, test out of high school and go to university um, out in, in England. So she ends up going to Oxford, uh, Darkheath Dark College is the name that we're calling it. And she um, gets in kind of skirts under the age requirements with uh, some string pulling from Lord and Lady Greystoke and studies theoretical physics. And um, and she graduates at a very, very young age uh, with a master's in physics. Now, that might someone might think that's unrealistic, but uh, there's a couple of factors there. She was um, from a family of prodigies, really. Her, you know, uh, Eric von Harbin, her, her uncle, who I mentioned before, he graduated at the age of 19 with a, a degree in uh, archaeology and the classics and linguistics. Um, so she, she, and her, her mother was studying at uh, Columbia, as I mentioned. Um, so she already has that in her background. And then also at the time period, um, they were, um, this was not long after the, you know, dropping of the atomic bomb, splitting of the atom. There was a huge push to, to get physics through uh, and get you know, physicists out there with master's degrees. So there were all these, mas these master's programs at Oxford specifically, they were they had an accelerated track to get to get a master's degree, and so that's what she took basically. So that's you know, so she's that's how she gets a master's degree by age of eighteen, and so when she comes along and views this, you know, what I was calling pseudoscience, this this ray technology, and even Pellucidar. Pellucidar is a strange world with a central sun. She thinks about the land of her birth. Um, how can how can that sun hang there in the hollow cavity? You know the inner world. How can there be this dead moon that that hovers just like a mile above the surface? You know these. It doesn't make sense with the laws uh, you know, of gravity and physics that we know of, and so she always wondered about it. And this is really her exploration. This novel, Fires of Halos, is her exploration, uh, delving into what's going on and 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 how how the, these planetary rays and things can exist when we don't detect them on our world and how how can you look up at the in the sky and see mars but we don't see barsoom we don't see when we send martian you know uh, send nasa landers to uh to the surface of mars why don't we find green martians in the city of helium and you know and all yeah. that and so this is really her exploration of finding out the answers to all of that and all of it uh you know underneath uh, a, a breakneck plot. I mean, you are going <laughs> quite literally from world to world, uh, you know, chased by this uh, villainous, uh, I guess, um, you know, and, and uh, so it is a lot of fun. This is wrapping up the first super arc. I do want to bring Wynn back on just to, just a minute to talk about it was announced that he is going to write the next super arc all, by himself, a trilogy dealing with Korak, the son of Tarzan. So, when what can you tell us about about your trilogy? Uh, yeah, so the first, uh, well, it's going to be called. I should start with the name of the super arc. So it's going to be called the Dead Moon Super Arc. The Dead Moon is this really strange uh, planetoid or moon that hangs inside the Hollow Earth, uh, and, and so as you as you probably know from the Pellucidar series. 
the hollow earth has this central sun uh, that is always blazing and there's no time inside of Pellucidar because um, you can't use it as a clock. And there's a moon that also hangs within Pellucidar between the inner crust and this sun. And it, it orbits geosynchronously so that it's always in the same place. And therefore it casts this uh, circular shadow always in the same place within Pellucidar, which is called the land of awful shadow. All of these were, concepts were introduced by Burroughs uh, in the first book of the series at the Earth's core. Uh, and through the series, he mentioned the dead moon here and there and gave us a few more details about it. But we never went to the dead moon and we never really spent a lot of time in the land of awful shadow. And certainly it's one of these other uh, mysteries um, that Burroughs left us that he didn't really uh, didn't really explain. Uh, and so one of the things that Chris mentioned that we're doing with the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe books is we're sort of taking some of these loose ends and, uh, and, and providing some kind of in canon or in continuity explanation for them. That's consistent with, with the prior Burroughs books. And so we're going to go to the dead moon and Korok at the earth's core, which is the first book and, uh, and explore the dead moon uh, a little bit as well as have some good uh, fun adventures uh, in other locations in Pellucidar. Um, the concept behind the book is that Korok's daughter, Suzanne, who was introduced in Tarzan Battle for Pellucidar, Suzanne Clayton, has disappeared in the vicinity of the Land of Awful Shadow and the Dead Moon. So Korok, uh, son of Tarzan, and Korok's wife, Miriam, both head for uh, Pellucidar, uh, essentially on a rescue mission. Uh, well, we'll see a lot of other um, characters from the Pellucidar series uh, popping up through the three books of the Super Arc as well. Um, we'll see Von Horst from the book Back to the Stone Age. We'll see David Innes and Abner Perry and Diane the Beautiful. So we'll catch up with all uh, all of them as well. And I, I don't want to get stuck too deeply in it, but you brought up that you were also going to solve a continuity issue uh, which I did not know was an issue until I do, I do remember, however, reading in um, Tarzan Alive, uh, you know, Philip Jose Farmer trying to do backflips to explain how this is, is that uh, chronologically Burroughs seems to have written two Koroks. So, so Burroughs wrote the, the stories featuring Korok or Baby Jack um, starting in the Beasts of Tarzan. Uh, and then continuing in the son of Tarzan in such a way that that it seems that Korok, that, that Jack somehow ages um, approximately 10 years or so, sort of within the span of one or two years. Uh, and by the time of, uh, of uh, the war novels, the great war novels, Tarzan the Untamed and Tarzan the Terrible, um, Jack or Korok is actually serving uh, in, in the great war in world war one. And it's, it's, it's somewhat chronologically, in, uh, unlikely that he would be able to do so <laughs> <laughs> given, uh, given that Tarzan was born in 1888 as stated in the first book. So, so your options are, there's sort of two contingents in fandom. One contingent is, is that, um, that Burroughs, you know, obfuscated the date 
and Tarzan of the Apes, and that Tarzan was really born in 1872. That kind of moves all of the books, uh, some of the initial books, backward in time, and that gives enough time for Korok to be born and age appropriately and then serve in the war. Uh, and then there are uh, another contingent of fans believes that Burroughs got the date right, 1888, uh, and that uh, that perhaps the Korok that we see in, introduced in The Son of Tarzan is a relative, um, an adopted son of Tarzan, but that Burroughs wanted to present him as a full biological son, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, I, I'm going to take... Um, a third option, which I don't believe has been discussed uh, in fandom, uh, and and resolve that great Korok time discrepancy. <laughs> so you're going to open up a, a new controversy. Excellent, excellent. And I also hey, want that's, to... uh, that's what we're that's what I'm all about. Controversy. <laughs> <laughs> Got to thank you for also correcting my pronunciation. You know, my introduction to uh, to the son of Tarzan was uh, getting a Korok comic uh, by joe kubert uh in a three packet tg and y and uh and i just said korak and well you know, i think you might you might be actually closer given 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 the burroughs dictionary chris do you so, want to give us the, the sure. official <laughs> yeah well i think i think most of the people that i've heard say korak yeah like you derek i think uh, that's what i've heard mostly but I actually have a document uh, which we yeah, published. Say, you, you don't have to pander to me just because I'm yeah. hosting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I found a document in the archives which we published in um, the archival material in our new authorized library edition of uh, Tarzan, uh, Tarzan and the City of Gold, um, a pronunciation list for the Tarzan series. So it's an expansive, it's like four pages long, two columns on each page. And in it, it says that that Tarzan's son's name, his Mangani name, is pronounced Korak, not Korak, but Korak. Korak. Which, yeah, which I've never heard anyone say. <laughs> <laughs> but then but again, you, you know, De Deja Thoris is pronounced Deja Thoris, not Deja Thoris, according, uh, as I, I according was gonna, to I was going to say, yeah. you brought that up, and I'm like, my entire life, I'm not even sure how they pronounced it in the movie. I have to go back. Darn. The, oh, I they have to say go back and watch it. Yeah, they say Deja yeah. Okay. So my whole yeah. life, I've said Deja, and yeah. <laughs> and you said Deja, yeah. and and corrected everybody said that is how Edgar Rice Burroughs pronounced it. Yeah. And then I turned to our other friend that came with us, uh, Shannon Denton, and I said, I, I I say Deja, and he said, Me too. I didn't tell anybody, <laughs> so I've told everybody. So now yeah. we know we're gonna say Deja from now on. <laughs> so. And I'll work on my. I will work on my co co rack. <laughs> think about coat rack and take right. the tea out. Yeah. There you go. There yes. you go. Yes. Which, again, as a public service announcement, it's kind of like how you have to approach Wakanda forever. Uh, take the tea out before you uh, before oh, you sit down nice. for this. Yeah. Good one. Good oh, one. yeah. Oh, oh my mind's nice. always firing on, oh, no. on three <laughs> cylinders. It's a six-cylinder engine, but only three are working. But anyway, uh, thank you guys for taking the time. Uh, like I said, uh, you can get Tarzan Battle for Pellucidar and Victory Harbin Fires of Halos. And uh, I, I'm forgetting what Carson of Venus's subtitle was. 
and edge, edge of all worlds edge of all worlds and john carter of mars who admittedly is my favorite character uh of the burroughs creations uh you can get all those on edgarriceburroughs.com uh part of the swords of eternity super arc and then looking forward to the co-rock one coming co-rack here i even you know had given myself a guide and did it wrong uh looking forward to the co-rack trilogy and so uh once again, uh, thank you. And for those listening, thank you for listening. Oh, it, 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 we, I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of options out there, and appreciate that you that you listen to us. So once again, if you'd like to follow us on Facebook, please do. Instagram, Twitter, all at Fanboy Planet, because I just can't remember that many code names. And uh, as well, write in with questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism to editor at fanboyplanet.com. Because yes, I still answer email so yes uh thank you very much i'm Derek mccaw editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com and i'm rick brett snyder reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for, for good, good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.